episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, once again to another episode of our show, bringing you another truly fascinating guest, uh, helping uh, to create a better tomorrow for all of us on many different fronts. Today, we have the honor of being joined by Kimberly Reed, uh, who just finished up a two-year term as president and chairman of the board of directors of the Export-Import Bank of the United States. Uh, She was the first woman to lead the bank in its 87-year history. She was the first recipient of the bank's highest honor, the Franklin D. Roosevelt Award, and she was confirmed by the United States Senate uh, back in 2019, strong bipartisan basis, uh, and has spearheaded the bank's uh, longest ever reauthorization of seven years and a significant new mandate, uh, the Program on China and Transformational Exports, which focused on protecting crucial next-generation industries in the United States, including biotechnology, artificial intelligence, uh, renewable energy, and space tech. Uh, Prior to her time at the bank, Ms. Reed spent her career working uh, at senior levels in both the public and private sectors. Uh, she served as the president of the International Food Information Council, uh, where she worked with multinational food, agriculture, and nutrition companies to understand uh, various consumer insights, uh, communicate science, and increase uh, U.S. sales and exports in that area. She was at the United States Department of the Treasury, heading the Community Development Financial Institution Fund, where she oversaw the awarding uh, of over $4 billion of tax credits, loans, and grants to financial institutions and economic development groups. Uh, She also served as senior advisor to two U.S. Treasury Secretaries, John Snow and Henry Paulson, as well as counsel to three committees, the U.S. House of Representatives, Ways and Means, Government Reform and Oversight, and Education and the Workforce Committees. Uh, She was a VP of Financial Market Policy at Lehman Brothers. Uh, She's been recognized as one of the 100 women leaders in STEM, Washington's uh, most powerful women in Washington, and West Virginia's executive lawyers and leaders. Uh, And she previously has served on boards of the Alzheimer's Association, Alzheimer's Impact Movement, uh, the American Swiss Foundation, the National Coalition for Food and Agricultural Research. Uh, The list goes on and on. Uh, Ms. Reed earned her a a law degree from West Virginia University College of Law, her bachelor's uh, from West Virginia Wesleyan College, and she's certified association executive, uh, earned professional certificate in finance from New York Institute of Finance. uh, And she also is a life uh, member of the Council of Foreign Relations. Uh, all that being said, uh, Kim Reed, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you, Ira. I'm so delighted to be with you and all of your viewers slash listeners. <laughs> It's, it's great having you. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to start things off uh, you know, by, uh, as we typically do, sort of handing you the floor for a few minutes to tell a little bit more of your story. I, I, was, I was intrigued being a life science person that uh, when you were doing your bachelor's, you were actually studying biology. Uh, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about the journey of how you went from biology to law uh, and ultimately into these extremely important positions in our, in our federal government. Absolutely. So I'm from uh, West Virginia, and I was just awarded um, a a really great award. I can't wait to get the the t-shirt. I'm a West Virginia Wonder Woman. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, so I really like to bring attention to uh, the mountain state and my home state um, and to um, issues important to rural rural America. And uh, and I uh, did that. I thought initially I would be doing that by being a med student and going uh, to become a doctor. 
And, uh, and so I was uh, pre-med at West Virginia Wesleyan College, minored, majored in biology, minored in chemistry. But there's a power of, um, of teachers and, and, uh, and professors because uh, during my freshman year at Westland, I took a J-term course uh, where you would take one course uh, in the month of January for three weeks every day. And this was a liberal arts college. So I had to do my history slash government, you know, general requirement. And I signed up for a course called Kennedy Catholicism in the 1960 West Virginia primary. I don't know how many uh, history buffs we have listening today, but uh, why would a teacher even teach this class? Kennedy uh, was a Catholic, and guess what? That was a big issue back in 1960. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they said that Kennedy could beat uh, Hubert Humphrey for the primary. If he could do that as a Catholic, then possibly he could become president. And uh, they focused in on West Virginia. And so, um, so we studied all about this. And then my professor, Dr. Robert Rupp, who still teaches at West Virginia Westland College, asked each of us in his class to write a paper. And I got the uh, suggestion from him to go interview our then sitting uh, Secretary of State, Ken Heckler. And this is in uh, probably 1990, January of 1990. And uh, 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 the Secretary of State had previously been a member of Congress back in 1960 and knew a lot about Kennedy's um, campaign. And so I have a, you know, I'm like 18 years old and I have this professor say, go interview the sitting West Virginia Secretary of State. I'm like, what? And he's like, go <laughs> do it. And this is before the internet. So what do you do to figure out how to do that as an 18 year old? You go to the library, you get the telephone book for the state capital, Charleston. You look up the phone number, you figure out, you get your dad's calling card number so you can call long distance. And I called and they granted me an interview. And so I drove two hours to the beautiful capital, which is, has a gold dome, looks somewhat like the US Capitol, mm -hmm. I think prettier. Um, and next thing I know, I'm across from Ken Heckler in interviewing the Secretary of State and mm -hmm. wrote this great paper. And all of a sudden, guess what? I loved um, history and politics and policy. So going to a small liberal arts college, I uh, was able to double major in government and biology and continued on this dual track. And then it came time to take the MCAT. And I'm like, hmm, do I want to deal with um, sick people? Or do I want to affect policy for good mm -hmm. change? And I decided that my skill set was more suited for um, law school in the world of um, policy. So I ended up going to West Virginia University uh, Law School and then moving to Washington, uh, but still very, very engaged in uh, West Virginia issues and bringing those issues to the federal federal stage. So that's that's how I ended up uh, uh, talking with you today. I could I could be practicing medicine in Buchanan, but uh, this one professor changed my my track and my passion. Tapped it. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, and, you know, we, we, we don't hear as much obviously, about uh, organizations like the Export-Import Bank of the United States. Um, it has a fascinating history, goes back to uh, President, uh, President Roosevelt, uh, a little bit, you know, set up after the, the Great Depression. Uh, can you introduce us just a little to the history of the organization? And then also just, you know, just wondering, you know, did, did the president just call you up out of the blue and say, hey, Kim, I want you at the bank? No later than, you know, September 14th. How, how did that all come about as well? Okay. Well, um, this is a, a, a long story, but okay. uh, so I'm, I am a 
Republican, and I grew up in the world of Washington, where I always heard the Export-Import Bank be referred to as the Bank of Crony Capitalism Mm. or the Bank of Corporate Welfare. And I never thought beyond that. And uh, and this is just a lesson for everyone. Do your own fact check. Um, Understand all points before you repeat what you hear. Make sure that it's uh, based on on, uh, your research. And uh, this is more important uh, uh, now uh, more than ever because we're all with the advent of social media and, uh, and whatnot. We're just talking to each other in our own, own sphere of influence. So you really need to keep an open mind and, 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 and learn all, all the thoughts on an issue sure. before coming to, to a conclusion. So I never really thought much about the Export-Import Bank other than what I'd heard for many, many years. And uh, I was um, uh, 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 called into the White House and presidential personnel um, back in uh, 2017 asked me to be a nominee for the Export-Import Bank. And I'm like, what? Wasn't, wasn't the president against this in the, in the campaign? And they said, yes, he was. But he changed his mind after meeting businesses. And the businesses explained to him that um, they need the Export-Import Bank to be able to compete in the world against other countries' businesses. Um, And so he uh, changed his mind. And I was asked to be a nominee. So I went home and studied what the Export-Import Bank is about. And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. But after like studying it, looking at the facts and being asked to serve. When you're asked to serve uh, by a president, you you really uh, take to heart that they've done their homework on you and uh, and uh, you you need to rise to the occasion when to serve if you're ever uh, blessed to, to have that opportunity. So I went home and studied it and I'm like, oh my goodness, this makes perfect sense and it knits together my background and my career. Um, so I'm gonna take on this daunting challenge that took me two and a half years to get through the Senate. But what what is the Export-Import Bank? Um, it was created, as you mentioned, by um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt um, in 1934. And uh, it's been around since then. And today it is our nation's official export credit agency. Mm-hmm. So as we look at the world, you have uh, countries and purchasers around the world who want to buy a good or service and they can choose the United States, they can choose the People's Republic of China, they can choose France, Germany, they can choose any country. And as an American, what do we want the world to do? If, if And I'm going to make up a hypothetical country, let's just say Senegal. Senegal needs to buy uh, a train. Do we want them to buy American or do we want them to buy Chinese or do we want them to buy another country? We want them to buy our, our, our goods and services sure. because guess what? That makes uh, companies more successful. It creates jobs. And, uh, and so we want that. And so the mission of the bank is supporting uh, 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 American jobs by facilitating U.S. exports. And so there are several programs that you can look at on XM's website. And um, the web, web page is www.exim.gov. Um, so foreign purchaser uh, goes to a normal bank and the normal bank says, hmm, you're too risky for whatever reason, or we're not interested in giving you a loan because we're overextended in the country, or whatever the reason may be. There are reasons why 
a foreign purchaser might not be able to get traditional financing through normal private sector means. So that foreign purchaser can make an application to XM mm -hmm. and there's a staff of 515 employees and contractors that thoughtfully review these applications, put forth, you know, good, good, um, practices on risk and other other things that you would anytime you take out a loan and uh, and uh, put it through due diligence and then uh, present the deal to the bank board and I was chairman of the board mm -hmm. um, to vote on and uh, you take this very seriously you have this this very uh, talented staff and they're like country X or purchaser X wants to buy a good and service Y from American co uh, company supporting this many workers. What do you think board? And we go through uh, you know, very lengthy process and vote on the deal. So then we make the loan possible and then the foreign purchaser um, pays back the loan with interest and fees. And so our mission is not to generate money for the government, but it is a nice byproduct that we give to the US treasury um, to use um, um, so so direct loans to foreign purchaser. We also maybe the the bank wants to make the loan, but they need some institution like XM to guarantee the loan to really help them do it. So that's the second second product that we do. Um, and an example of that, I'm not going to talk in detail about any deal that I ever voted on uh, for confidentiality reasons, but sure. you, can read press, you can read the press releases. So there was one deal where the Trade Bank of Iraq wanted to buy U.S. agriculture wheat and rice. And uh, J.P. Morgan wanted to make the facility happen, and, and we went in and guaranteed it. And I think that was about $450 million. Mm -hmm. um, so guaranteed. And then, and then XM does other, other types of financing as well, export credit insurance. So you're a small business in the United States. And I visited one down in Florida and they make uh, towels for, in, in monogram towels for uh, resorts in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And so they would take out something called export credit insurance from us so that when they ship the, that product to the foreign country, if the buyer doesn't pay up and make them whole, they have, a, they have an insurance policy that they get through XM to help them uh, be made whole and, and be successful. So, so that's a little bit about what XM does. Um, so I was nominated to take on uh, 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 and lead the bank. And... Um, uh, obviously, I worked uh, in the Trump administration, and I had 100% Democrat support. Hmm. Um, and I'm probably uh, one of the very few nominees that had that. And uh, they believed in the bank, and they supported me, and I was very grateful for that. But there was a small swath of um, free market, libertarian uh, types uh, who, as I mentioned, do not believe do not believe in the mission of the bank. And and why is that? They are purists. And they believe that having government intervene in the private marketplace distorts things. And, and so they are the believer, uh, if we have any uh, economic uh, listeners, uh, Hayek is the big proponent of this in, in, in supporting free markets. And, uh, you know, I agree with that view, but um, that's not the world we live in. Right. And so we have 115 other countries having their own export credit agencies and China uses theirs very aggressively to yep. finance Belt and Road. And so it's not, not a pure world and it's not a perfect world. And so as the president heard, companies in our country were losing out because the buyers needed that financing and they went to other countries. And so what, what else did we see? We saw some companies move their supply chain to foreign countries or start putting the foreign goods in their products so that um, they could get some of this financing because they, they need to, to compete in the world. So yeah. I was very grateful 
and worked really hard for two and a half years to get confirmed by the Senate. Um, and that finally happened, an outstanding vote of 79 to 17. And uh, Senator uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema said that she would have voted yes for me had she been in town. So technically, <laughs> I would say 80. She put that into the record. But um, uh, so it took two and a half years of my life. And uh, just yesterday, so um, today is October 1st, uh, 2021. So just yesterday, the Senate Banking Committee um, held a confirmation hearing. I watched uh, uh, on uh, the computer uh, for two two nominees to go through to, to go back into the bank. So I'm, I'm no longer there. My term expired by law, but it was a great, the best job ever. Had to reopen the agency as well because yep. um, these senators read the rules and the rules say in our charter, if you don't have a quorum of ba a bank board, so that's three of five board seats confirmed in, in, in the seats uh, or have acting people in the seat, the bank can't approve any deal over $10 million. Mm. And when you have an agency that can be lending and supporting at any one time $135 billion, and some of these deals are really big, yep. it basically shut down the bank except for the very small business. Um, and so that, that was the way it was for four years. And so I spent two and a half years of my life uh, trying to get confirmed by the Senate and pledging to reform the bank and taking it in a new direction. And that includes um, getting the longest reauthorization in the history of the bank and setting up a program on China and transformational exports to help us better compete um, in the world. It, it's really an outstanding uh, story, Kim. And, and, and you know, leading into that, you know, you're responsible for this important mandate, CTAP, the China and Transformational Exports Program. You mentioned, you know, the issues uh, facing our, our companies and competing, obviously, with China. Um, but then, as you mentioned, you know, it's one thing to sell a train. Uh, it's another thing to sell a quantum computer or artificial intelligence or biotech, uh, which are, you know, a little more nebulous products. Uh, talk a little bit about how uh, CTEP worked and then, you know, um, the importance of it, not just in, in allowing us to compete, but protecting these important industries moving forward. Absolutely. So, um, so my confirmation and my fellow board member uh, confirmations helped reopen the bank and because then we were there to vote on the deals. But in, in the United States and not many other places around the world, uh, we have something called needing to be reauthorized by Congress. So Congress comes in and does its due diligence every few years, looks at the program and votes on it. And, um, and so we had um, some folks who said, um, let's make sure XM is a helpful tool in the world. Looking at the world of uh, 20, December of 2019, when the president signed this historic uh, reauth into law, as I mentioned, China's really come on the scene. And so um, Congress in that reauthorization uh, language said, not only are we going to extend you for seven years, but we want you to set up a new program. And I can't believe you got the acronym right, China and Transformational Experts. We are going to give you legislative authority. And imagine me on December, I think it was December 19th or December 20th of 2019, um, reading legislation that says you will set up a program uh, to help advance America's comparative leadership in the world and compete with a neutralized China. And this program is called China and Transformational Exports. And we're going to give you the goal 
between now and 2026, when this program will expire with the authorization, we want you to focus at least 20% of your $135 billion portfolio or $27 billion at least on finding deals around the world uh, where China is trying to have a play and bring those deals to the United States. And you can match the rate terms and the conditions that the PRC uh, is offering the foreign purchaser so that the foreign purchaser picks you. And we want you to focus especially in on some key transformational export sectors, as you mentioned, um, 5G and wireless computing. So we all know about Huawei, uh, biotechnology, which uh, can range from medical, but me uh, coming from um, the world of agriculture, I know it's also food biotech. Yep. And as we yep. look at our population growing and needing to feed the world, um, that that's in there. Um, but uh, semiconductors, you can read the list on uh, XM's website, but we want you to focus in on 10, 10 categories, AI, um, so a lot, and also something uh, called fintech. Um, so so imagine uh, at the beginning of uh, 2020, um, Congress, you know, just giving me this new law, but they didn't give me the budget to go with it to set up a program. <laughs> you focus this and go out and and. Uh, and, and set up this new program. And so I uh, brought some detailees over to the bank from other agencies. Mm -hmm. We worked really hard, very talented staff, and we spent a while looking also internally at our rules. Because when Congress says, go, go, go do a 5G deal. Well, who are the big providers of, of 5G that we know about? Huawei, mm -hmm. Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung. Mm. United States goods and services are products within can be within those those uh, other companies, but those are foreign foreign companies. So how when Congress says go do 5G, our rules wouldn't allow us to do that because we were uh, components of U.S. content in in um, uh, other countries' products. So I had to work through issues like that, and that took a good good amount of the year 2020, and had to bring a very important vote to our uh, board to change something called our U.S. content rule on um, on China transformational exports, and we voted on that, I believe, in. Uh, uh, it's in December of uh, 2020. You can read the press release and you can click on how as a company you can get an exception uh, to allow you to um, make sure an application comes forth to qualify for this financing. So so I left uh, XM on, uh, by law on January 20th of, of this year, but there's a great staff that continues on. And uh, I know they just had their annual conference where there was a whole track on this program, China and Transformational Exports. Mm -hmm. um, the head of the China program is a SVP named Adam Frost, um, who uh, was hired just before I left um, XM. He came over from DOD. And uh, I would encourage anyone who's interested in learning about this more to look at um, XM's website. I have a cooling off period for me, um, uh, so I'm not uh, engaging on, on any of these topics directly uh, for a year because of, or two years because of, of uh, rules that appointees uh, sure. have when they leave. But it's, it's, uh, I'm watching with, uh, with great hope and look forward to seeing, uh, uh, hopefully, our board um, talk about um, some deals uh, in the future where um, we're really helping to advance America's jobs and competitiveness and protect our national security. We all know that economic security is national security. Mm -hmm. and 
Uh, uh, something else I did at Exxon was uh, create our very first national security advisor. Okay. Um, and also I've worked very closely with uh, the then uh, national security advisor, advisor Robert O'Brien, and um, uh, uh, to help the world um, understand that important role. And so if you look through Exxon's annual report um, that was issued in January of this year, you can read about some of those um, experiences, but I was really honored to meet with heads of state and government all around the world, including uh, leaders like Aung San Suu Kyi, who mm -hmm. you know, is under house arrest in uh, Burma, sure. but um, uh, leaders um, all around the world to help them understand what an important tool XM is to help yep. them choose us. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating uh, story, you know, per the bank. Um, but now, now thinking a little broader of your experience, obviously you're, you're listed as uh, one of the 100 most important people in STEM in the United States. Uh, you, you led the bank. Prior to that, you, in these important roles at the Department of Treasury, uh, the, the major committees like Ways and Means and so forth in, in the House of Representatives. Um, I'd like to talk in general about STEM, though, because it, these transformational industries that you were just pointing out, these are all obviously STEM industries. Um, looking out now, based on all your experience and, and sort of this theme that's sort of in the ether now in various countries about moonshots, about um, big programs that really see these things, the, the quantum, the, the biotech, the artificial intelligence as the future. Um, Talk, talk just a little bit about your feelings about, you know, are we doing enough as a country to, to spur this one? Should we be doing other things, other interesting programs that the audience, you can talk about, but the audience might not know about? Uh, take us a little, a little bit on the future journey with regard to the U.S. and STEM. Absolutely. So um, after leaving XM, um, I, I've been engaged uh, uh, with a lot of great thought leaders in our country and around the world. And I just moderated a panel um, at the Swiss Embassy here in Washington with the Swiss Ambassador of the United States, Peter Liu, and uh, our former Surgeon General, um, Jerome Adams. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to things like um, COVID and, uh, and uh, the support of our STEM industries, I think um, America is the best in the world. I mean, it is so amazing that we developed uh, vaccines to help with this horrible situation that we're still going through um, so quickly and brought them to market so quickly to save lives. I've lost uh, very dear people in my life mm -hmm. to this, this um, awful pandemic. Um, but I think that that begins um, uh, at, the, at, the, at the very tiny level of you know, these businesses, these incubators trying to get started. Um, and so you look at things like joint ventures mm -hmm. and, uh, and also um, uh, uh, programs run through um, our our government and but also through academic institutions it's so important to support them. And uh, I'm also a distinguished fellow now at the Council on Competitiveness. And so uh, we look at um, uh, how we can make sure that um, these initiative initiative things don't die, something called the valley of death. Yep. If you've never if you've never um, focused in on that that term, um, I, I encourage your, your listeners to, to look at that because there's great funding at the start where you're trying to begin these technologies, but then to really bring it to scale and markets, something called the valley of death. And so right. our government uh, with the private sector needs to really, really take a look at that. Um, but STEM, STEM is uh, our future. And um, I would say that we have um, such great talent in this country and uh, we don't want to lose it. And that's why um, it's important at all levels that, that, that we be engaged. And I also hope that students 
focus in on STEM. We need, especially with the aging population, uh, mm-hmm. I also was on the national board of the Alzheimer's Association. And um, and you look at uh, what the baby boomers now aging and the need for treatments and cures for, for diseases like Alzheimer's disease. If we don't get our arms around things like this by encouraging uh, the, the academicians of the future and researchers of the future to really study this. It's a great job to have if you're a young person trying to decide which way to go. Um, and this is coming from someone who was uh, pre-med, but uh, we need to really be doing all we can in, uh, in supporting those STEM, STEM uh, careers. Yeah, that's um, we. I, I, you know, you preempted me, but we we, we usually have a, you know the, the sort of the next generation that listens to the show and uh, follow you know your career, and uh, it's just so important to that message. That I'm thank, thankful that you that you gave that that uh, we really uh, need to continue this theme in our country because, uh, as you point out, these 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 industries and aging uh, and Alzheimer's and, and your involvement in the uh, this is the the Alzheimer's organization that that's a major. Uh, the, you know, tsunami coming our way as a country, well, all countries, but especially the U.S. That we need to we need to deal with that one. Oh, you know, we need to deal with heart disease and cancer as well. But Alzheimer's is, is going to hit us all really hard in the coming year. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, you know, wh- one other thing I just wanted to ask you about along the way because you mentioned agriculture uh, early on, and I know that you uh, prior, you know, you headed up this International Food Information Council. Uh, our joint uh, friend Lisa Gable was on the show uh, about a month or so ago, and she talked about her experience with the, the Healthy Weight Commitment Foundation. And you know, when we think about agriculture, we, okay, this isn't that high tech, but the more we think about it, especially in the era of COVID, you know, agriculture, are these farmers that are not farming right now, and there's these supply chains that are shut down, and it's all this other uh, futuristic food that's coming along too. We talked about cell culture, meats, and things of that nature. So food is a lot more high tech than it used to be. Um, talk for a couple of minutes just about your experience with the IFIC and, and some of uh, your, your, your career there, because I think that's a really another really interesting part of your journey. Yeah. So, uh, and it was great to work with Lisa Gable. She has a new book out. So I hope um, everyone uh, reads that. It's called Turnaround. I just got an autographed copy in the mail last night from her. So um, it's it's really insightful for for leaders who are looking for, for tips on how to be even even better in future leaders. Um, so the International Food Information Council is an organization that communicates the science on food safety, nutrition, and health. And so when I was there, I worked with the multinational companies, small businesses, but also 400 um, academic demissions and uh, health professionals. And, and uh, what I learned there, communicating the science on these topics plays into exactly what's happened today with COVID and how do you communicate to motivate good change? And we would do it at IFIC, that was our mission. And so we would do focus groups mm-hmm. and message testing. And what we're seeing, what I heard come out of um, the former G- Surgeon General's mouth last week is you need to have health professionals communicate messages locally. Yeah. It's like your 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 field of trust. Who do you trust? And we know that that um, is the place to go and get information. And so we worked on every topic that you can imagine, and many uh, collaboratively with uh, with Lisa from obesity and fat, mm-hmm. sugar, salt, 
to um, biotechnology, also known as GMOs. What, what does the science say on this? Because yep. there's a lot of myth. Um, I would also say that a lot of companies uh, are seeking um, uh, business advantage. And so they will demonize things without the science to give them the competitive advantage and turn off consumers to uh, certain purchases. And that's where you really need to do um, your homework. And, uh, and, and it really upset me. Uh, you look at the world of food deserts, something that I touched on sure. um, when I was at the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, but making, making moms, making parents feel guilty if they don't go and buy uh, these high flutin, really specialized foods um, that cost a lot, a whole paycheck. And and, uh, and so to educate them on um, what's the science say and what, what do you need to be feeding your kids um, and uh, what are the latest uh, dietary guidelines um, to keep your plate, for example, we say full of color um, to make sure that you're eating healthy. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the pure organic whatever uh, yeah. food store. But uh, so we helped, helped uh, dispel a lot of myths with, with all of that and explain the science in an easy to understand way. And, but, but, the time at IFIC, when I showed up at IFIC in 09, that's right when social media was getting really hot. Mm. And uh, we went from a blog to tweeting to, to you name it. How do you reach your consumers uh, in the best way possible? And along with that social media, I remember when 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 food, food and ag companies didn't even have or or consider investing in uh, social media part of their communications function. I remember when that was the case and we were kind of uh, helping uh, uh, show them that they needed to, to, to be talking to consumers where they, where they were. So that the world has changed a lot um, in, in 12 years on that front. But along with that, agriculture has changed. So we have something now called precision agriculture. Yeah. It's really hard to, to, to plant a crop and, 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 and bring it to, from, from, from seed the table. It's a lot of work. And so um, we have these great American companies um, to, to really help farmers uh, be more successful and understand um, what they can do to, to do that. And I've been, I've traveled all over the world. Um, I've been to more than a hundred companies. Uh, countries and I've been blessed to have workshops when I was at IFIC in Western Africa. Actually, I did a, a workshop in China um, mm. where I met with um, uh, their FDA officials from every province in the, in the, in the country to talk about topics just uh, like this. Because when you have a food safety scare, when you have people die because things are not handled correctly and then communicated about correctly, it's just really, really, really uh, damaging. So um, I'm so glad that America can provide solutions uh, to the growing population in, in places like Africa and, uh, and, to, and to be helpful with that, but also help uh, the local people uh, produce um, in better ways and even more. And uh, I brought that thinking into XM. And so a year ago, I signed an MOU with the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, um, the very first undersecretary for trade. His name's Ted McKinney, and he's just now become the, the, the head of something called NASDA, the National Association of State uh, Departments of Agriculture. So mm. he's now um, uh, leading a group where he's connecting with every uh, state ag uh, department. But, but we signed an MOU to help um, 
stakeholders of USDA and of the Foreign Agriculture Service to know about the financing ability that XM has, including, as you noted, biotechnology. Yep. So if, if a company wants to be competing somewhere and China's showing up and they're like, we can't beat their financing, they can use the CTAP program to hopefully help, um, help uh, the world buy made in the USA. Excellent. Excellent. You know, Kim, I usually ask a question uh, as we get near the end of the show about important uh, mentors and influencers in our guests' uh, career. Obviously, uh, you've hung out with presidents and secretaries of the treasury and, and, and leaders across academia, governments, private industry. But um, I'll give you this question anyway. Uh, some important mentor, other other important mentors, influencers that may not be at that level, but that have been really instrumental in keeping uh, Kim Reed on this path and um, this amazing journey. Well, I mentioned Dr. Rapp, so he, I'm talking to you today because of his one three-week course, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but two mentors in my life are now um, gone. Mm -hmm. One is Carol Brookins, so she was like a surrogate mother to me, and uh, she, uh, in March of, uh, of 2020, went to France and came back with COVID and was the first person to die in Palm Beach, um, but this was at the start of the disease. But uh, you can see if you Google Carol Brookins in uh, CBS video, you can watch a great uh, uh, video uh, commemoration uh, to her. Um, and it was an honor to be interviewed for that. But uh, she um, got her start on in the commodity markets and on Wall Street in the early 70s and really broke through those, uh, those glass ceilings to make uh, uh, career for women like me possible. And uh, she took a keen interest in me um, and you know, her later years uh, and was so supportive of me to become a nominee and stick it out. Um, I was so happy to, to, to welcome her to XM. And, uh, but she really taught me a lot of, of valuable lessons on uh, being a, a leader and uh, what it takes to, to succeed. Also, um, former ambassador to Switzerland twice, uh, Ambassador Faith Whittlesey, mm -hmm. um, uh, in 2001, when I was a young staffer on the Ways and Means Committee, I was tapped by this great organization, the American Swiss Foundation, um, as uh, one of 25 young leaders to go to Switzerland for a week. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I like that a lot because where I grew up in West Virginia, um, you look at the history of West Virginia, near where I grew up was a little place called Helvetia or Helvetia, which is uh, was settled by Swiss settlers yeah. um, way back when. And so part of my heritage is uh, is Swiss. Nice. And so, uh, so I was asked to go on this program where I met 25 young leaders in Switzerland. We learned all about the important partnership between our two countries. And uh, that was back in 2001. And Faith um, uh, really sponsored this program and made it come to fruition in such a great way that she ended up before her death uh, tapping 1,200 young leaders. And now we're not so young, I'm 50, um, but, but it's this amazing network of, I would say, um, person to person um, uh, uh, public diplomacy. And uh, I'm now on the board of this organization and next mm -hmm. week I'll be up in New York for their annual gala that will be in person. I'm very excited um, to be with my friends again, but, but co communicating uh, 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 around the world uh, and finding those common bonds, um, which, which come into play in such important ways. So Faith has a great book uh, that was written about her called Backwards in High Heels. Hmm. And her story was amazing. Um, growing up, uh, her husband died early and she was a single mother mm. um, in the Pennsylvania legislature and then went on to be uh, Ronald Reagan's ambassador to Switzerland and yeah. uh, so she taught me a lot of good lessons as well. Outstanding, 
Outstanding. I could use some more mentors now. How about you? <laughs> I could always use some more. Uh, Kim, last question. I, obviously, nothing confidential, but uh, what can we expect? Where, where can we watch you? Any any hot scoops that uh, you can break on the show? Things coming up for 2022 uh, in your uh, in your career? Please take the floor. Well, and, and I would say I also have noted from uh, Carol and uh, Ambassador Whittlesey, I like being a, a, a mentor to, to young, young people as well and helping them um, uh, with their past. So that gives me great, uh, great pleasure and supporting. I think that's an important for any leader. You've got to really help those um, uh, of our next generation. So I take great pleasure in uh, mentoring and supporting uh, uh, people. And you should do that every every chance you get. Um, I've gotten uh, 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 success come uh, my way because people did that. And, uh, and I've been told uh, the people that you expect to help you the most sometimes won't. It's the people that you hardly know who like do one kind gesture uh, to make a difference in your life. And I've seen that over and over, over again. And um, so what, what I'm uh, involved with, as I mentioned, the keynotes on competitiveness, I'm mm -hmm. on a blue ribbon commission with the Hudson Institute, looking at okay. restoring America's national security innovation base. And we'll be doing a, uh, an event on batteries, uh, uh, I think on the 23rd of uh, October. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm also on the school of uh, public health at Indiana university, Bloomington, their Dean's Alliance. So mm -hmm. working, uh, with with that institution, but uh, and then I've just joined my first uh, corporate board. It's a space satellite company called Momentus, wow. and I'm really enjoying that because uh, I really want to bring my strategic board uh, and chairmanship um, skills to, to to companies. And so I hope that more uh, more of those opportunities will come in the, in the near future as well. I really really uh, enjoy that. Um, so just working hard and uh, and uh, trying to um, make a difference in uh, these different ways. Outstanding. Outstanding. We'll be reading you on all the way, but really, really fascinating journey. Um, for, for everybody that's going to be listening to uh, this episode on our podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel, uh, you've been listening to Kimberly Reed, just finishing up her two-year term as president and chairman of the board of directors of the Export-Import Bank of the United States. Uh, Kim, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing to keep our country competitive and safe. Uh, and as we say on our show, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're doing. Really very inspiring. It's great. Thank you for sharing this message and all that you're doing as well. Thank you.